Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading will be Romans 5:17. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provisions of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. 1 Peter 3 and verse 10. It is good to be with you today. Actually, I mean it's good to be alive today. Uh, this last Wednesday, Don Barnett flew me down on his airplane to George West for Peggy's dad's funeral. And several of you who remember how windy that was on Wednesday have asked me with a rather wry smile, how'd you enjoy the flight? Well, I don't mind telling you, it was a little bit scary. Um, it was doing this thing, it was doing this thing, and then we took off. <laughs> it didn't help matters that we were leaving from a place called the terminal. And it didn't help when Don said, it's time to depart. But we did. And I can tell you this, I would rather walk by faith than fly by faith any day. <laughs> We're talking specifically these days about what it means to live in Jesus. And I mean live. I told the church last week, yes, this is my, really my first sermon series as your preacher, so I needed to come clean. I have an agenda. And that is that you truly, truly live. Not just settle, not just get by, but absolutely live in the fullness of what Jesus meant when he said, I came to give you life and life to the full. If you're visiting with us this Sunday, this is the second in a three-part series that I'm just calling life. We're thrilled that you're here, not to hear me, but to hear from him. I'm thrilled that you're here not to hear from me, but to meet these people here. Because I promise you the preaching will be, will be lacking on some level. But these people aren't. They, they know how to love with the best of them. And so I'm excited for you to get to know them. I'd like to read the text this morning. And then I'd like for us to pray. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord. Turned out a little bit too easy, too quick. Well, I'm not doing well, Greg. This is too much for me to do. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Yes, thank you. All right. <clears throat> we need to pray. But before we do, one of the reasons that I, I love the heritage of the churches of Christ is this. In the beginning, back in the 1800s, when this movement kind of came together, it was not just a unity movement. It was a force in the Lord's church for unity. 
Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians all came together for the goal of just being followers of Christ. And that was possible because they determined to focus not on what they didn't have in common, but on what they did. And when they did, it was amazing. They saw one another not as foes, but as family. So in that same spirit, you're going to hear me join Jesus in his prayer in John chapter 17 and verse 21, that those in this community who desire to likewise follow Jesus would be one with us. I prayed last week for those who are endeavoring to do that from the First Baptist Church. I'm going to be praying for those at the First United Methodist Church this morning. Each week you're going to hear me pray for a different faith family in our community. And I will as long as God allows me to preach here. And here's why. Because I'm trying to follow Jesus. And to love the things that he loved. And to hate the things that he hated. And to pray for the things that he prayed for. And one prayer request that he has recorded for us. Is in John chapter 17 and verse 21. Lord, I pray that they would be one. Even as you and I and the Father are one. I'd like to ask you to join me in every week praying for that prayer to come true in our lifetime. Father in heaven, we come to you and we're grateful that we've had the privilege of getting to sing praises to you. What an honor that you invite us to sing to you. Father, we are grateful that you have come to be with us in the supper. Thank you for honoring your invitation that wherever two or more are gathered, I would be there in the midst of them. Welcome. Father, we realize we are not the only ones doing this. That we have brothers and sisters all over this community, literally all over the world, who are endeavoring to lift up the name of Christ and to be molded and to shaped, fully formed in Him. We join our brothers and sisters who are at the United Methodist Church. And we ask you, Father, to bless their services today as they endeavor to worship you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. May they do so not just with their lips, but with their hearts. That's our prayer. And Father, my prayer is that you take this sack lunch of a message. And like you did on the shores of the sands of Galilee so many years ago, that you break it into a feast that will nourish us to allow us to leave here looking a little bit more like Jesus when we leave than we did when we came in. And we ask us humbly in his name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Early in the 1950s, the Yankees were playing the Braves for the World Series title, and Yogi Berra was the Yankees catcher. A young player from the Braves by the name of Hank Aaron stepped up to the plate, and at this point in Hank's career, his greatness was just becoming known. As Hank was digging in, Yogi Berra, who had a reputation for just trying to distract players by talking smack to him, said, Hank, I noticed that you were holding the bat wrong. The trademark's down. You're supposed to hold it up so you can read it. Well, Hank didn't say a word. He just took the first pitch and drove it over the left field fence. And as he crossed home, I love what he stopped and said to Yogi. I didn't come here to read. <laughs> I love that. Hank Aaron shows us that you can be witty without being wounding. And that's important. Because in the first lesson, we took a look at what Peter had to say about Living a good life and having great days. He says, it, it matters what you say. Get that. Hang on to that. Decide when you wake up in the morning that today it's going to matter what I say. 
If anybody thinks he's religious, James says, and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is in vain. Peter specifically says in the text we read a few moments ago, if you want to have a great life and see good days, don't let anything deceptive come out of your mouth and don't let anything demeaning come out of your mouth. Paul makes it a trifecta when he says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, don't let anything gross, don't let any evil talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up another person. Make sure it is appropriate for the occasion, and I love this, and that it imparts grace. How'd you do this week, church? Was it more gross or was it more grace? Peter's trying to say, if you want to have a great life and good days, then realize you need to get a handle on your tongue. I wonder what kind of impact every single one of us could have if when everyone met us, they anticipated being encouraged. They anticipated being built up. They anticipated that their ears would be full of grace. The Bible says not only would they be blessed, but you would be blessed. But it not only matters what you say. The second message that I want you to take home with you today is this. It matters what you do. So help me out by saying that. Here we go. It matters what you do. One more time. It matters what you do. Yes, it matters what you say, but it also matters what you do. That's what Peter's trying to get us to understand. If we really want to have a great life and great days. Now, there's two very different things that Peter says in his text. And each one's very, very different. He says, I must turn from evil and I must do what's right. I must turn from evil and do what's right. Let's look at the very first one. The choice to turn from evil. And I'm hesitant to move on to this lesson because I'm going to have to be honest, maybe painfully honest. The reason why some of our lives are frustrating, the reason why some of our lives are struggling and in some cases absolutely heartbreaking is just this simple. We're making destructive choices, both with our attitudes and with our actions. Those attitudes and actions are diametrically opposed to what we know is clearly God's will for a human life. And yet we still persist in choosing them. Now, if that sounds harsh, please forgive me. But keep listening. Because what may sound like bad news for about the next ten minutes, I promise you, will be great news if you'll hear me out. Here's my biggest frustration in the years of ministry I've been involved with. Both with myself and with those who come to my office with counseling or for counseling. Too often, me and the others that I, I get to serve in the body of Christ with are making ungodly choices and yet wonder why they're so unhappy in their lives. A young man can't get a job because he can't pass a drug test and constantly wants to know why God won't help him find work. Couples violate God's principle of the Sabbath in their lives. They're going and going literally seven days a week, pursuing more for themselves and their kids, leaving no room for rest and reflection on how much they already have. And they give their life away to everybody else but themselves and to each other. And they bankrupt their marriage. And they start to thinking, you know, if I had chosen better, I'd have a better life. 
And every now and then one of them swings by the office on the way to their exits, on the way to the divorce course, seeing if maybe God might do a miraculous fix-it job. And I'm here to tell you, He won't fix it. Because you've decided that you're Lord of your schedule and you won't let Him be. Drunk drivers kill innocent people because of their selfish choices. House payments can't be made and utilities can't be made many times, not because of a tragedy, not because of illness, but because of unwise financial choices that we make. When we choose to make decisions that are outside the will of God, those choices will lead to death on some level. The Bible says the wages of sin is death every single time. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will almost always cost you more than you want to pay. I hate that truth, but it's the truth. Michael Pena knows it's true. Ten years ago, Michael was a functioning alcoholic. He made almost $100,000 a year cleaning carpets. Very personable, very disciplined, had a great successful business, but he was addicted to alcohol and it destroyed his family. He lost his marriage. His kids quit talking to him. But one day, Michael made a great choice. He believed that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he could change. He came and asked the prayers from the church, and he enrolled in a 12-step program. He was doing great for about a year in almost every aspect of his life. And on Thanksgiving Day, he went over to a young lady's house, and they were having wine with her meal, and she offered Michael some. And Michael will tell you, he knew that he should have humbled himself and said, I'm a recovering alcoholic, I'm going to have to pass. But he determined then not to be embarrassed. And he took the drink. Now, Michael's body is predisposed to being an alcoholic. He cannot have just one drink. Some of you here today may go home and have a beer with the Super Bowl. You may have a glass of wine during the day. But Michael can't. When he drinks a beer, he wants 24. When he has a drink of wine, he's got to have the whole bottle. And so he had the whole bottle. And then he went home and he had another bottle. The next day, he needed another bottle. And he knew he shouldn't drive because he'd probably get caught. And so instead, he broke into a neighbor's house. Left the money that was on the counter. But he took the booze. And the police caught him anyway. He was hauled into jail. And while he was in jail, he was so ashamed he wanted to kill himself. He was in the bathroom and he took a shoe and he broke the protective covering over the light bulb in that bathroom. And he was about to cut his wrist when a guard tackled him and drove him to the ground, saving his life. He lived that day, but I promise you for the next four months, he wished he could die because of the DTs and coming out of it. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will almost always cost you more than you want to pay. Some of our good friends who are great brothers and sisters in Christ are raising another generation of great disciples. And their daughter, Michelle, was dating a guy from out of town. On one of their dates, she made the decision to have sex with him. And two months later, she found out she was pregnant. She was in love with the boy and he was in love with her. But he was in the military and they just weren't in a position to get married yet. But they decided to have the child. Michelle said the decision to have sex was a mistake. But she determined that she would not make a second mistake by aborting that child. Her boyfriend was driving home from Florida so that the two families could sit down and determine what to do with the baby when the, when the baby came into the world. 
put it up for adoption, raise it themselves. Ten minutes inside the state line of Texas, Michelle's boyfriend lost control of his car and was killed. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And almost always will cost you more than you want to pay. The hurt and frustration that became unwelcome guests in their lives took up residence, hear me clearly, from their own choices. The truth is, some of you are in the same place. Your life's a mess. Miserable is probably a more appropriate word. It's a miserable mess. It's an awful, terrible mess. And it could be, it just could be because you've made some terrible, awful choices that have brought you there. Now, I don't say that to burden you. I really do say it to bless you. Because 1 Peter 3 says, so much of our good days and a great life has to do with choice. Now, let me tell you why that's good news. Because you can choose a better life. In Christ, you can choose a better life. That's why this is my agenda. To talk to everyone who will listen for maybe just even a moment. There's a better choice in Jesus. And there's power to make good on that choice in Jesus. You see, your life doesn't have to be a walking death because you're genetically predisposed. Or because you're potty trained poorly. Or because your third grade teacher had it in for you. Or because your parents were divorced. Or because your dad didn't say I love you. Or because maybe even one of those parents abused you. Your destiny does not have to be determined by somebody else's choices. Listen to me clearly. They can be determined by yours. Thus saith the Lord. This culture has so bought into the lie that my misery is based on what someone else has done to me or didn't do for me. That victimitis is what's plaguing our country the most now. Not the economy. Not inept government. Victimitis. My life's miserable because of what someone didn't do for me. My life's just awful because of what they did to me. Wrong. Peter says if you want to have a good life and good days, choose to turn from evil and do what's good. A guy I heard about this week who embodies victimitis, his name's Henry. He was pulled over one night for speeding and the officer walked up to the car and said, Sir, I clocked you at 73 in a 60. Did you understand that? Do you know that? He said, Oh, no, officer, I didn't know I was speeding. And his wife said, Henry, you had the crew set on 70. <laughs> and he looked at her and just kind of gave her this. The officer said, Sir, I noticed you weren't wearing your seatbelt either. Did you know that? He said, uh, sir, I took it off when you came up. And she said, Henry, you never wear your seatbelt. He said, Agnes. Finally, he said, sir, I also noticed your left tail light is out. Did you know that that was out? He said, no, sir, I didn't. She said, oh, Henry, you've been talking about getting that fixed for three weeks. Finally, Henry had enough. said, would you just shut up, Agnes? And the policeman leaned in and said, ma'am, does he always talk to you that way? She said, oh, no, sir, only when he's drunk. <laughs> now, I just know that the next day Henry's going to be talking to his neighbor next door. Now, my wife just got me in so much trouble yesterday. 
Or I'm telling you the law is just getting too big for their britches. They think they can just take all kinds of liberties with us innocent people. (laughs) Henry had nothing to do with that, right? Henry isn't the problem. He's the victim, right? Peter would say, wrong. Henry, it matters what you do. More so than what's done to you or not done for you. Church, listen to me. Peter says, if you want to see good days and have a great life, then choose to turn from evil. Because making ungodly choices will steal your life away. You don't have to make those choices. The God who graced you, who created you, is also gracing you and empowering you to choose better. In Matthew chapter 7, as we read the text last week, Matthew talks about two roads there. And he says, there's this broad, wide road that leads to destruction and death. And most of the world's choosing that one. But then there's this narrow road. It doesn't have to be wide because not many people choose it. And it's hard and it's difficult to make those choices. But I'm telling you, it leads to life. Life. Spirit says through David in Psalms 34, the same thing Peter repeats in 1 Peter chapter 3.10. Get you some life. Come on. Get you some. Turn from evil. Turn from what's destructive. Turn from what's outside the will of God because you don't have to be promiscuous because your dad was distant and unaffectionate. You can hold a job learning to hold your tongue regardless of the negative critical environment of your home. You can keep your covenant of marriage that you made for better or for worse in spite of the fact that your parents and half of those around you won't. Confess that you've blown it. Confess you are blowing it. And with God's grace, if you want God's life, you can be healed. Listen to James as he says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So you've made some bad choices. Okay. Confess those sins to one another that you may be healed. You say, well, Jimmy, doesn't God already know my sins? Yes. You can't keep anything from him. But we are masters at thinking that we're better keeping it from others. Isn't that the truth? When I confess my sin, when I humble myself before God and my brothers and openly confess, I need a Savior, I need help, I need strength, my life gets better immediately. Talk to those who've done it last week or the week before. Michelle and Michael both know the power of this. They brought their brokenness to the church and publicly said, we are a mess. And we need God's help and we need yours to help us get our lives back. Both of them have made some unwise choices. That wasn't the end of the story because both were willing to fess up, as my granny says. And because they fessed up, they got freed up. They got their lives back. I love to tell you this. Michael went on to get a master's degree in clinical psychology and lives today in Rudosa, New Mexico, helping other addicts break free from substance abuse. Yay, God. Michelle lives with her husband in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Before we moved down here to Fredericksburg a couple of years ago, I did their wedding in Portland, Oregon. And that little child that she was carrying with her, Addie, has been birthed into this world and she is a lovely young lady. And she has learned that the first place that you take your brokenness when you make a mistake is to the church, not the last place. 
She's a wise young lady. It's because she has a wise mother. They will be the first to tell you, both Michael and Michelle, that the grace of their lives is attached, closely attached to a choice to receive God's grace and to believe it could change them. The second part of what Peter says here is not only turn from evil, but he says you've got to choose to do good. And those really are two different choices. James will be the first to tell you that there is much more to being spiritual than just not making bad choices. James says religion that our God, our father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I hope you see the combo here. Yes, keep your life from being polluted by the world and its values and what it says ought to be. But he goes further than that. Don't just abstain. Get in the game. That's what he's saying. Don't just abstain, but get in the game. And it makes all the difference in the world. Right now, I promise you, some of you are miserable and you're frustrated and you're angry at the way your life is turning out for one reason. You're not good news to anybody. You're not. (laughs) You're not fresh air. You're not help. You're not encouragement to anyone. Jesus' mission in this world was to come and to be water for those who were thirsty and to be food for those who were hungry and to be clothes himself for those who are naked. Those of us in here who are clothed in his righteousness, say amen. Amen. Those of us in here who are, are living because he's food to us, say amen. Those of us who are alive because we have drunk from the, the, the grace that overflows, say amen. Amen. Yay, God. He did that for us. But he didn't intend for it to stop there and just be damned up. And so often it is. Let me ask a question. Are you an ornament or a servant? Talked a lot about being a servant this morning. But I need to ask you, are you an ornament or a servant? Here's what I mean by that. Anybody here ever have an aunt or an uncle who had furniture in this room that no one could go sit in or, or rest in? Maybe even have plastic on. My aunt had some of that plastic on it. And they called it a living room. <laughs> Nobody was allowed to live in You weren't even allowed in there. No living went on in there. Now, what some people do with furniture, other women do. Um, other people do. <laughs> with dishes. Dishes were made to have great food on them and to eat from them. But there are some dishes who never have food on them. No, they sit behind glass. No food, just dust gets on those. That's all. Guys, some of you have guns that you don't shoot. Some of you have cars that you don't drive, knives that are never used to skin a deer or cut a piece of rope. Those things were meant to give us life, and all they're doing is taking up space. That's existing. It's not living. Now, let me ask this again. Are you an ornament that's just existing? Are you a servant that's living through giving his life away? I know human beings are just ornaments. All they do is exist to be looked at and taken care of. And they're not making a difference in the world for anybody. James says, he who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. It's destructive. It's death. 
it's wrong. My dream for this church is not that we birth another Heisman Trophy winner. It's not. Glad we have one. But that's not my dream for this church. My dream for this church is not that we have an Academy Award winning actress come from our church. My dream for this church is not that we have an American Idol winner from this church. We have enough celebrities. We have enough ornaments in the world. God needs some servants. He needs some servants. Let me tell you who my heroes are. My heroes are B. Adams, Peter Larson, Rachel Wheeler, and Rachel Beckwith. Let me tell you about B. 84 years old when we moved to Ruidoso. Talk like this. Craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Hardest to ever just listen to her and not just burst out laughing. Ask my wife. That's exactly how she talks. Walked everywhere in her white Reebok pumps. And I'm going to be honest with you. The thing that she walked for was to dumpster dive. And it was a little embarrassing. Okay? I'm, I'm going to be honest. And then it became inspiring. When I found out that the reason why she was dumpster diving was to find all the treasure she could and to sell those at garage sales so that she could buy shoes for families who couldn't afford good ones. I want to grow up and be like B. Adams. She's one of my heroes. So is Peter Larson. Peter Larson this year is celebrating his 12th year of sleeping in a cardboard box from November 12th to December 31st to raise awareness for the homeless in Plymouth, Minnesota. This teen has raised over $400,000 for the homeless since he was six. This time around, Peter raised over $100,000, enough to take care of 50 families who are struggling in his economically rocked world that he lives in. Peter says in his own words, surely children weren't made for the streets. Peter Larson is one of my heroes. Rachel Wheeler is one of my heroes. She's 12. 12. She raised $175,000 to help build 27 concrete homes in Haiti. Rachel is 12. And she decided, it's just not right for me to have a home and other children not to have a home. Then she wanted even further. She said, I want to build a school because they need education to make their lives better. Not just houses to make their lives better. Twelve-year-old's living. She's living. And then Rachel Beckwith. Don't have her picture. She's not alive anymore. She was nine years old when she died from injuries sustained in a car crash near Bellevue, Washington. It was July this last year. The news of her birthday wish went viral. She was trying to collect $300 because she had clean drinking water and she knew of some children who did. And wanted that fixed. She wanted to drill one well. That went viral and they raised over a million dollars. They're drilling more than just one well this year. And I promise you, Rachel Beck is doing more living dead than many of the Christians that I know who are alive. It matters what you do, church. Not just that you turn from evil. And I hope you do that. 
If you're making ungodly choices, if you're making choices outside the will of the Father, I hope you do a 180 and turn from doing that. I don't care what your peers are saying. I don't care what maybe your parents are saying. What's God saying? Where is He inviting you to come get in it with Him? Get in it with Him. It's going to mean abstaining from some things of the world, living a life different from the world, not being conformed to the image of the world, but the image of Christ. But it's got to be more than that. It's not just abstaining. It's getting in the game. It's giving away what I've been blessed with and sometimes even more than I've been blessed with because I've been called to a vision of something greater than my specific need. Now, each of us, I know, can do exactly what Peter says on our own level. I've got story after story of people whose lives have been amazing lives because they, they understood it matters what you say. They understood it matters what you do. This book is full of those lives. And we could read some of them. But I'm like Hank. I didn't come here to read. I came here to get in the game. So what do you say, church? Game on? Then say those words with me. Game on. All right, let's get after it. Not by our strength, not by our power, but by His grace and His mercy. Let's make a difference in this world because it matters what you do. It matters. Father in heaven, we come before you. Some of us turning our eyes upon Jesus in a way that we haven't in a long time. We've had our eyes on ourselves. We've had our eyes on our way. We have, we have determined we made a better sovereign than you. We've gone with our feelings. We've gone with the, the wishes of our peers. And our gaze has not been on you and what you desire for our days. It's been on us and what we desire for our days. And we're miserable. And God, I'm asking those of my brothers and sisters in Christ who are, are right there, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, you would help turn their eyes toward your Son. Your Word says it begins when we confess our sins to one another. So I'm going to pray for those brothers and sisters right now, God, that you would encourage them through the power of the Spirit to go find one of our shepherds here when we stand, that you would enable them not come clean before you. You already know. But to share with another brother or sister, I'm just not doing well. Please pray for me. And Father, if you brought someone here today who's never named the name of Jesus as their Lord, not just their Savior, but their Lord, and they haven't turned their heart and their life over to you, and they're ready to do that for the first time, to be buried in Christ, putting away the old life, to be raised to walk in a new, would you help them come find me? Please, Lord. This would be a super Sunday if we could see one or two or three or ten give their lives to Christ. It would be Super Bowl. Holy Spirit, game on. Do your best work while we sing. Church, let's stand. Let's sing and let's respond. Turn.